friends, in this world of more and more up and to the right, fast and furious, there are very few invitations that invite us into the slow work of God. There are very few invitations that I find that align with Jesus's invitation in the gospel when he says, don't look for shortcuts. Friends, the invitation to become good soil is to live in the day and measure in the decade. If you haven't explored the Becoming a King retreat, it's all free and available to you at becomingakingretreat.com. And it is a video by video session an entire experience to walk a group of men through a four-day experience to come into this reality, to recover a path and process, to become the kind of man who can wield power in the service of love, to become a trustworthy king, to become the kind of person that wherever they are, whatever they have through a growing maturity and a deeper union with Christ, they can love well and love deeply. So we took the Become Good Soil intensive. We made it available in the Becoming a King retreat. And I wanted to draw your attention to that afresh um, before we dive into this part two of the Lion Trackers Guide podcast with Boyd Vardy. And our friends overseas in Europe, in UK, we're coming live, our team, with the Become Good Soil Intensive, which is a version of the content of Becoming a King Retreat. We'll be in the UK in May of 2024. We're accepting applications now. And you can find all of the information on this event at becomegoodsoil.com under events. For now, let's turn to episode two. You know, whenever I meet someone who has experienced severe trauma in their life, I will often see what I think of as a scrubland of defensive patterns over the top of the landscape of their being. I've trained myself to look through that scrubland of defensive patterns to the wild man inside, to the wild natural garden inside. What spirit gave me in my life is it literally showed me a wild landscape restoring And it taught me that there is a a wild landscape in all of us that wants to be brought back to life. Friends, it's Morgan and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. Hopefully you've listened to part one of this two-part series. If you haven't, go back to the episode before this. But if you have, I'm really excited to bring you back into an in-depth conversation with a like-hearted tracker, tracker of animals and tracker of souls, the author of The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life, Boyd Vardy. There are many themes we'll dive into in this episode, but by way of prologue, from part one what we mostly explored was this idea of recovering the track of your life, of what was intended to come alive from the inside out. What happens when we begin tapping into that creative energy, that imago day, and become one who creates rather than one who consumes? What happens when we move through an initiation where we are in service of others and out of that service of others flows healing? That is to say that as we are healed, we can't help but facilitate the healing of others. To notice those themes in the heart of an alive soul that increases in its affinity towards nature, its affinity towards simplicity over complexity. We will explore recovering ceremony and architecture that guides and marks a soul's healing, a soul's maturing, and a soul's coming alive. We'll touch on these ideas of what we do when we begin to outgrow the identity that we are finding ourselves living out of. 
What happens when we get stuck, when we fall asleep in our own life? Friends, as we'll touch on, no one is a self-made man. And yet this modern life with its intense individualism constantly beckons us to think we are self-made, we are self-sufficient, and we are self-initiating. Friends, there's so much hope because there's so much more. I want you to join me together with Boyd for this part two, where we recover the unique and universal way of finding, locating the track of our life and helping others do the same. So let's jump back in with part two of the conversation with Boyd. I respect and I admire, first of all, your willingness to put words to the landscape of your soul and the journey and also not quit in the frozen. Like you described, I loved your, your vernacular of it felt like everything was being seen through a lens that caused it to be gray. You couldn't see clearly. You know, it's been said before that we see things not as they are, but as we are. And we've been formed by trauma and yet there is a path out of the trauma and even you putting words to it helps access it for me and for all of our listeners. I know that one of the things I've I've come to believe passionately is that the journey of trauma and brokenness and then restoration is unique to every human being, but it's also universal. You know, you talked about Joseph Campbell and there is this universal reality because we're made in the image of God of, of the re- restorative work that happens in every human being. So I'm so grateful and admire you putting words to it. And what I want to ask you about one element of it that you write about so well, and you're alluding to now, Boyd, in your life's work is, you know, in your writing, you start with the idea of conversation after conversation of people in the Western culture that haven't done the work. The themes are uh, isolation, anxiety, depression, and, and, and a desire to change. But that's where you find people. And you say in your book, I love how you describe it this way, that disempowered. And yet the fruit of this healing work, the fruit of you recovering a path and process of initiation that leads to transformation is there, there is some experience in, of I am enough, I have enough. And I love how you articulate it when you invite people to risk, to be honest in listening to the track that they have recovered of like one story you tell where the guy said he was executive where he said, I just need to get away for a while. And you were blessing him with permission to say, take a, take time off, take a sabbatical. And he said, no, but you don't understand. You don't understand. I have to solve everything. And you were inviting him to look inside and just listen to that voice, the voice of God calling him to permission to the next thing that when somebody takes that step and moves through initiation, So Boyd, what I notice is there's the unique and there's the universal, that every man's story is particular to that sort of a unique expression of of who his true self is. And then there's this universal path and process of recovery. And what I so appreciate in your writing is that you describe in working with people over time, you see this consistent fruit of someone who deals with their trauma, who goes through a path of healing and restoration, that they move through the disempowerment of their shame. And they come to a place of realization, I am enough, I have enough. And they actually want to bring their creative self in service of others. Uh, it's just so hopeful to me. Can, can you unpack that a little bit of, of the hope of dealing deeply with your trauma in order that you can be restored and become that kind of person? Oh, you know, one of the things that I say is that in some ways, the more, the, the deeper the trauma, the deeper the medicine that can come out of it. The willingness to go downwards into what has frozen you, feel it, 
process it, um, become acquainted with that, but not out of a place of self-indulgence, out of a out of a courageous willingness to face yourself, to face your own pain, to face your own shame, a willingness to grieve, um, the willingness to live as a tracker and start to, through the pain and fear and shame and uncertainty, step towards that way that the will of God expands you, that current of energy that lights up in you when you move a little bit more towards what God wants of you. You know, um, what I've noticed is that people who do that work, it's almost as if there's a certain set of characteristics that start to come to life in them. Hmm. One is, and almost the first one, is an overwhelming feeling of enough. And the feeling that I am enough and that I have enough. And I believe when my mentor said to me all those years ago, the restoration of the planet will come out of a profound shift in human consciousness. I believe that this feeling of enough that comes out of someone who does the work of healing is absolutely centrally what she meant. Someone who stops wanting things and yes. to attain status, to feel like they have any kind of value. They just have a steady present knowing that I am enough. People who do that work are naturally creative. There's a natural inclination back towards creating things rather than consuming things. There is almost instantly a profound desire that simply manifests in them. It just comes into you when you've been someone who've healed the desire to be of service. There is a comfortableness with stillness and quietness and simplicity. And in fact, almost a natural move towards simplicity. Um, there is a natural affinity to nature. doesn't matter if you grew up in the inner city, if you are someone who does this work um, of healing, of going inwards, of discovering the track of your life, almost instantly these things come to life inside of you. And then you become someone who preaches the gospel wherever you go, often without using words, because what people feel in you is the natural alive presence of both your, your spirit and the spirit of the divine um, and they feel it in you through the way you move, through the way you connect, through the way you're embodied. Even before you say anything, people feel that energy in you. And then you become almost like a tuning fork that starts to show other people that it's possible. And people feel themselves drawn to you saying like, I don't know what's going on with you, but I, I just, I want what you have. What is that? And you can say, I've done the work of mm. healing. I've done the work of transforming. And so that's very exciting to me. And I think that the, I talk about it in the book, the tribe of forgotten trackers are, are not necessarily people who are good at following animals or live out in the wild or have good survival skills. No, the tribe of forgotten trackers is a group of people all over the world who are waking up, feeling called to do the work of healing themselves and then living towards the spirit of what the divine wants from them. And mm. I think of that as the largest unnamed social movement in history. And it's yeah. happening all over the world. And it's strange because you just kind of know if you're meant to be a part of that transformation. And it starts to encourage you to do your work and become a person who leads from that place inside yourself. Mm. Mm. So beautiful. I want to tie that humble statements that guides me and my formation is I don't know what I don't know, right? They're, they're simply blind spots to every one of us. And you have the privilege of being fully immersed in a culture outside of a Western culture. And our listeners, our, our, our tribe of Leichhardt around the globe, these are Western formed humans. And so I want to, I want to visit this idea of ceremony and rite of passage. You, you know, you describe in your book that there is no, there, there is rarely a process in modern society through which a person can transform. That we have lost the sort of architecture that was meant to take a soul through a process. So when you were describing the Shangan people and your life with Rainius and, and being immersed with, with, um, men that were literally herdsmen and, and um, hunters and gatherers, you know, you naturally found yourself 
with rites of passage and ceremony and ritual that has just been robbed from the modern man. And you also work with very high-powered executives throughout the world in modernity. So could you put some words to um, the loss of ceremony and rite of passage and its significance in recovering that in order that a person can become fully human and fully alive? Mm, that's such a that's such a great uh, question. Well, you know, the first thing that I think it's important to realize is that, as a matter of course, you will arrive at a place in your life where you outgrow your identity, where you become stuck as a result of trauma, or you fall asleep in your own life. And, you know, it might be that you build. You know, like, let's look at those identity, you build yourself up to a place. And then you realize that all that you work to create is not actually fulfilling you. Um, and so you need something else, you become frozen by trauma. You know, mm. something happens, some kind of catalytic event occurs, that forces a change in your identity, you lose a job, you a relationship changes, you get divorced. Um, you lose a, a person, some kind of catalytic event comes into your life, or you just arrive at a place in your life where you feel asleep. You just wake up, you're in the grind, um, you do the same thing, nothing ever changes, and you don't know how to change it. You feel stuck. And it's important to know that all of us will have those moments. And part of being a human is that these moments will either come into our lives as catalytic events or or quite naturally, we will fall asleep in our own lives. Then what we need is, and what we don't have in modern life, is a way to start to work with the stuck place. In fact, most people will just say, I'm frozen. And then they will look into the culture for some kind of answer. I guess I need to change my career or change my relationship. They don't know how to go inwards and, mm. and begin the process of remembering to remember. And that is what a ceremony is. A ceremony is a place where we remember to remember. It's a place where we start to journey inward to see what has us stuck. It's a place where we can actually look at our grief and our loss and our trauma. But equally, a ceremony is a place where we can begin to try and imagine again, start to tune in again to that place inside of us that I've been talking of. And, and what is what also happens in a ceremony? Well, you know, we come together in community because we might be blind to ourselves, and that's where we actually need other people. And, you know, we live in a tremendously individualistic society and modern life is all about being self-made. And in truth, no one is self-made. And when we are really grieving or we really lost or we really stuck, that is when we need brothers and sisters to help us remember. And so the ceremony is where we come together with brothers and sisters who can see us who can help us remember, who can reflect back to us. And then slowly we start the work of unpacking the stu stuck place and developing a way to start to track forward. And part of what I realized as I started tracking was that most of us, because it wasn't given to us in our culture, don't actually have a process. And so the tracking to me became a way that I was making meaning and a way that I started to develop a process for myself to start to move forward. As you begin to unpack tracking, and that is the context, there is one quote and one idea in your book that has revolutionized kind of my way of seeing, and I'm, I'm guessing you're going to get into it. And so let me just name it and see if it fits here. Um, there, there is this idea of the next first track, just the next first track. And there's the beautiful statement that Rainier said to you out in the field one day where he said, you know, I don't know where I'm going, but I know exactly how to get there. So I'd love to hear what's on your heart. And if those fit in, uh, in this space, I'd love to hear more. Absolutely. So as I started to do this work, I realized I needed a process. 
And I started to look at the process of tracking and I started to build my meaning structure and how I would move forward out of the lessons that I had learned over hundreds of hours of tracking. And so when you look at tracking, any, any day that you go tracking, there are some things that happen. And the first thing is, is that almost all tracking begins with going into the unknown. Hmm. It starts by stepping forward and saying, I don't know if I'll find this track. I don't know where this animal is. You know, I might not even know what I'm looking for, but I'm still willing to start to go. And that's the paradox of searching, right? Is when we arrive at a stuck place and we say, you know, I know that this is not what my life is meant to be, but I don't know what the next thing is. And so the first movement of tracking, just like the first movement of transformation, is to say, you know what? I don't know. And that's okay. I'm opening myself to the fact that I don't know how to do this. I don't know where this animal is. I don't know where this vocation is. I don't know how to move forward. So that's the first movement. And, and I remember for myself personally, when I landed in that, this incredible calm came over me because up till that point, I had just been whipping myself with this critical voice. You've got to sort your shit out. You've got to get your stuff together. You've got to move forward. You've got to know what to do, but you don't know what to do. And so that was incredibly anxiety making. Then, um, then what else does a tracker need? Well, a tracker needs to develop their track awareness. Now, your track awareness is, can be described like this. Uh, imagine that you walk down a game path. Now, my mentor, Renia Simshongo, one of the best trackers in the world, as he walks down that game path, he is seeing probably 50% more information than I'm seeing. Mm. And that, to me, when I realized that is an incredible idea, and the reason he's seeing more information laid down on that ground as tracks, as scuff marks, as bent grass is because he has developed his track awareness to very advanced levels. He has taught himself to see and be attuned to certain things, images, shapes, sound, scuff marks, impressions. He's taught himself to see it. So what I would say to someone who had come to a moment in their life when they're transforming, I would say, now you have to develop your track awareness. And what does that mean? It means you need to start to attune to how the spirit of God wants to talk to you. You need yes. to learn what expands you. You need to learn what energizes you. You need to learn how that voice inside of you that is deeper than rational thought speaks you need to discover what you're naturally curious about because what you're naturally curious about will be deeply connected to something very essential in you. You need to learn to, to attune to literally what energizes your body because that's the way that spirit speaks. Literally what energizes you is a way that is like the most natural part of yourself speaking to you. Mm -hmm. And so I've spoken a little bit about that, but you have to develop your track awareness. The next thing that you will have to do as you start to create this process of transformation for yourself is you will need what in tracking we call a first track. And that's, uh, that touches on the quote. Yes. You know, there's a beautiful quote by the American tracker, Tom Brown. He says, the first track is one end of a string on the other end, a being is moving. And when Renia says, I don't know where I'm going, but I know exactly how to get there. What he means is all I need is a first track and then a next first track and then a next first track, and then a next first track. I've spoken to hundreds of people when I've coached them who've told me, when I know exactly what I'm going to do next and all the steps to get there, then I'll make change in my life. But what I've seen consistently is that we don't know the full extent of where we're going. Think about the organization you created. There's no ways when you started it that you could set off to create what it is now. No, you just had to do the next thing you knew to do, then the next thing you knew to do, then the next thing you knew to do. And people who make profound, consistent change in their life are people who dial down, you know, the full extent of all the things that they could do to one moment of presence, what I know to do now, one moment of presence, what I know to do now. So I, I encourage people a lot to let go of the big vision of what my life should be and just Take one step towards the next first track. Mm. One step towards something that energizes you, expands you, opens your heart, connects you. And you do that consistently over a series of days. 
It starts to move you through the wilderness of your own life on the trail of something wild and magnificent. Hmm. When we track a lion, you know, we don't need, we don't need to know exactly where it's gone in a massive wilderness. All we need is that first track and then that next first track and then that next first track. Hmm. And so in my own life, I really had to learn to take my grand ideas about who I should be and what I should do and humble myself to the next thing that I knew to do. And I live like that to this day. You know, I take very small daily steps towards things. If you set out to be a tracker, a hundred percent, you will start to follow this track of your life. You will probably let the safe zone go. You will let the known go. You set out into the wilderness. Well, here's something that's definitely going to happen along the way. You are going to lose the track. Yes. And it's important that you know that so you don't freak out when it happens. Suddenly you look up and the track is gone and you've left behind the safe job, you know, the safe zone that you were in. You've headed out to follow this calling of spirit in you and now you've lost the track. Absolutely normal. It's important to know that losing the track is a part of tracking. It's a part of living as a tracker. And when you lose the track, there are two things to do. The one is to go back to where you last had a clear track. So you might ask yourself right now, when was the last time in my life that I, was, I knew I was on track? Who was I with? What was I doing? How did it feel in my body? The other thing that trackers will do when they lose the track is they just give themselves the space to try things. Man, and we don't get that in our culture. Hey? We were told from the time we were born, there's a right way and a wrong way. And we were not given a lot of space to discover and to wonder and try things and to be okay with getting it wrong. And especially as men, men were told, you know, you've got to be a hundred percent on point all the time. You've got to know what you're doing. Um, you've got to know literally the, the mind of the, the Western man is a, is the mind of, I have to know. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the mind of, of other cultures in the world is the don't know mind, an open mind, a discovering mind. Mm-hmm. So you will lose the track. If you are in your transformational process, you will be going along fine, operating on first track, sinking into the unknown, developing your track awareness. And then one day you'll feel like, I've lost it. I don't know and even know what this transformational process is. Give yourself the space to keep discovering. Keep and give yourself the, keep, the space to keep discovering and accept that losing the track is a part of this journey you're on. It's a powerful part of this journey you're on. The other thing that I say to people inside of this tracking model is as quickly as you can, see if you can get some other trackers around you. And, you know, we, we say don't track alone. It's an amazing thing when you have other people who are on the journey around you. If you often what will happen is if people aren't on the journey and they're around you, they will sell you their fear about why things aren't possible. And so to have other people who are doing the work around you is just nourishing. It's supportive. And in the East, they call it a Sangha, the community. Um, you know, in, in uh, another name for it is church, you know, the, the people, the, the groups that support us in our, in our transformational journeys. Um, in ceremony, it's the community around you. So, so there's all of these dynamics. And here's the thing about it. You know, as you set out to be the tracker of your own life, of the spirit of your own life, and you move towards these things that expand you and you attune your track awareness and you accept that you'll lose the track. And what happens is that you start to find yourself inside of a journey that is wild and scary and exciting and requires constant attention and work. And and as that process and your skill inside of that process deepens, the very process itself becomes incredibly generative. It becomes artful. It becomes nourishing in and of itself. And what the tracker always develops, and, and, and it can be cliched, but it's not. What the tracker develops is an understanding that living constantly on the track is the most nourishing, powerful. It is what you were looking for. Not some ideal of when I get here, then I'll be happy. When I have this much money, then I'll be happy. When I attain this much success, when I get together in this relationship, then I'll be happy. No, those things are transient. It is to live presently and constantly attuned to the will of God that is really the way of the tracker and the path that I have come to find truly nourishing. And so... 
that is a little bit of how I think about developing a process to live like a tracker. Mm. It's it's evocative. It's accessible. It's unnerving. It's hopeful. Um, it's really good. Thank you for laying that out. Maybe I could ask you a question here and just say, because um, it, it may be helpful when when you hear this as a fan, fellow animal tracker, but as a fellow soul tracker, I wonder how do you know when you are on the track of your life? And I guess this is a question about um, track awareness. How in your process have you come to learn when you are on the track? How does God speak to you? Bold question, and I appreciate the invitation. I think what I would first say to that is I've had to cultivate intimacy with a person, right? That it's a relationship between me and the one I am tracking when I find out I'm the one being tracked, right? It's both and. My friend was on a, on a lion hunt in South Africa many years ago, and he told me the story that he was on the trail of a lion with a tracker, and they were deep in the bush and hands and knees, and they're following this track. And over hours, they get to this point where next to the lion track is their own boot tracks. And now they're tracking their own tracks and they look at each other with the hair that goes back up on their neck and they go, holy shit, we are the ones who are being hunted. The lion is tracking us. And I think it was a brilliant example of, um, for me, what you're sharing is deeply validating because I've cultivated a confidence in hearing the father's voice I've cultivating a confidence and trusting, as you said, the overwhelm of the infinite possibilities, right? Especially in a Western world, we can do anything we want. We're told the sky's the limit. You can become the president of your nation or you can become anything you want to be. But it's actually debilitating because the only person we can become truly is the person we were made to be. That's where we find our ultimate well-being. And so I've cultivated that intimacy of God, who are you really? And who am I? And how are you speaking to me? And how do I hear your voice? And so when I find the next first track, it takes these infinite possibilities and it brings it to something that's accessible. Just the next first track. And I love in the book when you describe finding the it's not here is actually part of knowing you're on the track and your words on the path of not here, right? Where you go, okay, this is God validating the risk. As you said, giving yourself permission to fail as learning and say, it's not here. And, and I look for that love language. I look for that confirmation. I'll, I, and I'll tell you, I'll just out myself one hilarious story. So it's early in Colorado. And I got up at dark 30 to prepare to be with you. And yesterday was a flat out day. And my family needed me for some really important things. And there was this question of like, am I crazy to keep like doing these you know, going out, I'm pursuing you and finding you and God, are you in this? And I grab my sweatshirt in my closet and I go to put it on and it had actually been washed with some sort of down vest that came unglued in our dryer. And so when I put my, my hoodie on my sweatshirt, all these feathers came off of me. And I'm in a cloud of feathers. Well, I'm laughing because I'm thinking of your ostrich story. And, you know, when you're in the plane. And so I have this puff of feathers and I'm remembering the white knuckle charter company and your story of flying as a kid. And, and I was hoping we might get to that. But in that moment, I felt like it was the father intimately, intimately with me, Boyd saying, you're on the right track. You meeting with Boyd today and bringing his message to those entrusted to your care is part of your life's work. And you don't need to understand it all, but I'm with you. Trust me, be in the moment, be fully present. And it was those feathers that were just this validation of, I don't know where I'm going, but I know exactly how to get there. Uh, that's, yeah, that's it. You know, the, 
that knowing that comes into us through all these different ways. And suddenly we're surrounded in, uh, in angel feathers and, and uh, little tracks of confirmation. As we walk down this path, and, I, and I, sh- I show people this often when we go tracking, you know, often it's not just this beautiful, clear trail. It's a track. And then we move forward for sometimes 10, 30, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 yards. And then we get a confirmation track. And then we have a sense of the vector that the animal is moving on when we, we pick our way forward and we see tracks, but we can't be sure, did it cut right or did it go down this path? Ah, oh, and then suddenly there in some powdery sand, a beautiful confirmation. Mm-hmm. And to live like this, it's a courageous way of living because it is, it is both deep certainty and the willingness to be faithful constantly. That's so good. You know, you alluded, Boyd, to in your book and even in sharing today, the irreplaceable role of a father. You talk about the poignant role that your father had and his father. And in in your stories, you clearly um, illustrate that there are distinctions in gender between men and women. I'm so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the masculine soul, particularly, and how the Western world has has kind of harmed it. And this path of recovering the soul of a tracker um, can particularly speak to the heart of a man. I mean, I think that there are so there's so many parts to that. The one is that the the father. I was lucky on a, a number of fronts. The one is that, you know, the the full healthy expression of the father is the father does not do the nurturing. The father wants you to be your best, and is there to act as a steward and a servant of moving to you towards all that you could be, and. I was lucky to both have a father who I went on a healing and evolutionary journey with. And, um, you know, initially when I was young, the way my father raised me in the way that he was raised, which was just no guidance. It was just kind of like a hard lion, lion hunters, work it out type mentality. So from the time I was very young, I was just told, yeah, just work it out, work it out. And that left me often in situations where I didn't know what to do. Um, but I, I expected myself to know what to do, but I didn't know what to do. And I was a little out of my depth and I was in situations that were too big for me. And I felt ashamed that I didn't know what to do. And so, so I had to, I had to move through that shame and actually learn to ask my father um, to guide me and help me with certain things. And it was the strange thing when, you know, when I was a young man and I was finding my path, I used to say to him, well, this is what I'm trying to do. And he would be trying to encourage me, but he would say something like, oh, well, don't don't think about it, just do it. And in that moment, I would always feel very unseen. And I would say, well, I I am doing it. Why are you telling me to do it? I'm, I'm doing it. You don't see that I'm doing it. And only later did I realize that my shame was blocking me. And when he said, well, if you believe you can do it, just do it. I had to learn to say, I, I really, I really want to, and I, I would like you to help me. How do you think I should move forward? And it was so sim- amazing that that simple willingness to ask, how should I do this? And what can you yeah. teach me would immediately shift him into being a guide to me. So that's, that's maybe something that goes there. I was also lucky to be mentored by these two incredible trackers. And what I learned about that is that I think that masculine mentorship occurs as a kind of absorption. You know, it's not so much about what the mentor tells you to do. It's more about having the opportunity to be around someone you admire who has skills that you would like to learn. Mm. And I was very lucky being around Alex and Renius that I was able to just almost absorb them into my body and absorb their presence and learn their skill by being around them. And so I think that's another important thing. Um, and so what am I saying? I'm saying that as men, um, we need to learn to ask for the support we need. 
And part of that is being attuned to the fact that we need it and then asking clearly for it. Um, we need to be around people who have skills that we can learn. And I think that all of us should cultivate mentorship because an amazing thing happens when you are someone who has mentored, you are someone who wants to mentor. And so all of us um, should take up the mantle of being mentees and mentors. And I think that's powerful work for men everywhere. And then finally, I would say that, you know, the wilderness to me is a symbolic extension of the masculine psyche. And part of the challenge of being a man, of having a father, of being a father, is that you can't fully know yourself in isolation. A man has to come to himself through encounters with life, with other people, with wild places and with challenges. And so a man becomes a man through the relational nature of life. And so we have to learn that we are strong and that we can face challenges and that we can grieve. And, and all of those, I think, help us be good sons. All of that helps us be good fathers. And all of us, all of that helps us become stewards and fathers to anyone who has lost the natural world, anyone who is suffering. And I think that's, that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to step into the best of the masculine to protect, to serve, to, to pick up those who are weaker, to support those who are suffering, to face the challenges with courage and love and grit and softness. Yeah. So that, that is all this work is exploration of what it means to truly be in the spirit of the father is incredibly powerful so honoring to hear and i know our time is coming to a close i want to offer one final question boy does i spend time with you and and i saturate myself in your work clearly there is some unique portion of this recovery of the path of life for our generation um, that's been entrusted to your care and I commend you for saying yes a thousand times over, for risking, for offering. And I'm curious if there's um, a story or an idea or an observation, one thing that's on your heart as you're kind of with this global audience of leading men, leading others. Is there anything that you don't want to be left unsaid that comes from the heart of Boyd Vardy and the miles you've seen of some, some kind of parting piece of counsel that you said to know me, to know what's been entrusted in my care, I, I want to share this idea? You know, well, firstly, it's, a, it's an incredibly deep question. And, uh, you know, I feel the gravitas of, of even having the honor of being asked a question like that. Um, what I would say is that to know me is to know that I believe that we were born for this time. And I believe that there is a, a micro and a macro component to what I am here to share. The micro component is for each one of us to take up the mantle of attending to our own healing. Uh, of going inwards, of grieving, of feeling, of attuning to what we need, of learning to let go, of learning to shed layers. And then after that deconstruction, learning to move towards the spirit of God. I believe that that is our work. And, and all I'm here to do is to share, support, be a friend to anyone who wants to do that work. But that work is a deep and profound embodied activism. That work is not about you. If you are willing to do that work, you will be someone who is here for these times, mm. for healing, for the restoration of our relationship with nature, for men to find a new way, for women to find a new way, and for all of us to be a part of a great transformation back to being in harmony with our planet, with each other, um, in, a, in the spirit of, of what it means to be a human. And so, you know, to know me is to know that I simply do my work and I hope that that work travels 
and I, I implore you and I encourage you to do your work and trust that it will travel in ways you can't imagine. And, uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have this chance to be with you all. And I'm very grateful. Boyd, thank you so much. Um, from one tracker of animals and tracker of souls to another, it's a privilege and an honor. And uh, for those that are listening that are not familiar with your work, um, can you just give a snapshot of if people are intrigued and inspired and want to um, dive deeper, what type of on-ramps are there to kind of the, the, the work of Boyd Vardy? Absolutely. I mean, the first thing is, is that I would encourage you to read The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. Um, it's my story, but I believe it's our story as trackers, as we, we all put, you know, our journey as trackers into it. So Lion Tracker's Guide to Life would be a great place to start. It's available everywhere. Uh, a second place and a, pro, uh, a platform that I'm really proud of is we've, we've designed an online Track Your Life course. And I think that as a place to begin to explore yourself and to explore your own tracking process, I think that's a powerful place to start. You can find all of that at boydvarty.com. Um, and then, you know, in the future coming, well, I'm going to post more about where I'll be uh, speaking and storytelling. And that's always nice to get together. Um, I'll, as soon as I return to America, I'll, I'll post those dates. But for now, I think... Um, the reading, the podcast. I've also done a podcast called the Track Your Life podcast, which is available on all platforms. Book, podcast, um, online tracking course are great on-ramps to start the process of your of becoming your own tracker. Oh, Boyd, it's awesome. Well, I dream of one day coming to your tracking school and being with you in uh, Londolozi someday. But thank you on behalf of so many like-hearted trackers. Thank you for investing the time and the heart in joining me for this podcast. Thank you, man. I so appreciate you having me. It's been great to be with you. Friends, it's my honor, it's my joy, and it's my privilege to continue to curate and distill the path and process of masculine initiation. And as this conversation comes to a close with Boyd, I want to end with this idea that we are intended, as Boyd is inviting us to remember, to live attuned to the will of God and the heart of God, to live alive wholeheartedly in the present moment this is the core of becoming a tracker. A tracker finds a path where there isn't one, and we need that more than ever. You see, the track is always there. And, and in order to find the track of our life, to recover that ancient path, there is a unique way being set out before us. We are not on our own. It is not up to us. We are one who is being led and our life is intended to be a response by the one who knows us best and the one who loves us most. And in that, there are things in which we need to tune into and things in which we need to tune out. And so Boyd, it's an honor, it's a privilege to sit with you. And so together in this conversation, I wanna invite you Boyd, as I invite my fellow trackers to ask this closing question. What is it that God is inviting us to tune into? And what is it that God is inviting us to tune out? Friends, there's so much more being offered by Boyd. I would strongly encourage you to pick up a copy of The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life to check out all the resources that Boyd offers at boydvardy.com. Boyd, in so many ways, you're echoing the voice of the heart of God that comes in Matthew 7, where Jesus says the way to life, the way to God is vigorous and requires total attention. There are so many things that are screaming for our attention, and yet the Father waits to be wanted. You know, in so many ways, I see his quiet, confident 
presence. He's okay. And he waits to be wanted. And perhaps today is the invitation to tune in to the heart of God and to tune out to other things that aren't serving us. So friends, with that in mind, Boyd, thank you for joining us. And let's take a 90-second pause to let this question be both an end of a podcast series and a beginning of our next first track. What is it that we are being invited to tune into? And what is it that we are being invited to tune out? Let's take 90 seconds. Let that question find your soul right here and right now. Enjoy. have the privilege on a regular basis to enjoy deep and meaningful conversations with like-hearted allies from around the globe. And so often I find myself in those conversations wishing others could be a part of them and to um, ask more questions and to share more ideas and to just participate um, in this global fellowship. And so one of the ways that I'd love to invite people in a little bit more is to have several upcoming podcasts related to conversation and question response and hear your questions. And so there's a function on the Become Good Soil podcast. You go under connect and you can find a speak pipe tool that allows you the opportunity to offer comments, to make suggestions, to ask questions. And those questions, at least some of them, prayerfully can be considered for future podcasts. So we'd love to hear from you, for me or for Sherry, for anything that's on your heart, go to becomegoodsoil.com, go to connect, and I'd love to hear your questions and look forward to featuring some on a future episode.